Well, good morning, everybody. Great to see you this morning. Please turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 16, where we'll be continuing our series uh, in the book, which we've called Sent. And obviously, it's pretty appropriate for Mission Fest uh, as we spend these few weeks uh, through August hearing from different uh, people and partners and then hearing from God's word uh, for ourselves as we seek to live as sent people. So Acts chapter 16, we're going to read that together, uh, pretty much the whole chapter in fact. So as we follow through this narrative together. Acts chapter 16, I'm reading from the ESV and it'll appear on the screen if you haven't got a Bible in front of you. Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer. But his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him. And he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places. For they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and the elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and they increased in numbers daily. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come to Mysia, they attempted to go to Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Verse 11, So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, and the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days, and on the Sabbath day we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we were supposed where, sorry, where we supposed there was a place of prayer, and we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshipper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized and our household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned around and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, These men are Jews, and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in attacking them, and and the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, 
They threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them, and he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. But when it was day, the magistrates sent the police, saying, Let those men go. And the jailer reported to Paul the words, saying, The magistrates have sent to let you go. Therefore come out now and go in peace. But Paul said to him, They have beaten us publicly, uncondemned, men who are Roman citizens and have thrown us into prison, and they do now throw us out secretly? No. Let them come themselves and take us out. The police reported these words to the magistrates and they were afraid when they heard they were Roman citizens. So they came and apologized to them and they took them out and asked them to leave the city. So they went out of the prison and visited Lydia. And When they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for this gathering that we are enjoying Thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for uh, the encouragement of hearing from Duncan already. And now as we come to your word, we pray that you would speak into our lives by your word, by your spirit, and that you would encourage us and challenge us as we seek to live for you as sent people, people sent by you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, not long after I became a Christian, I actually went, probably within a few weeks, I went to hear a talk at North Beach Baptist Church. I was at South Perth Church of Christ at the time. Uh, these guys came through and I knew they were uh, visiting there that night. So I went there, ironically, a church that some 10 years later I'd become pastor of uh, straight out of college. But unbeknownst to me, a guy who I'd recently worked with uh, for years, in fact, attended there. His name was Andrew Nightingale. And when, I, when he saw me walk in... He said these words with this look. What are you doing here? Pretty much like that. Probably not the best way to welcome visitors to your church. Uh, Probably not an approach I would recommend for the Connect team or the Welcome team uh, here at GBC. But he was actually right. Firstly, Because based on how I had lived, which he had seen and felt firsthand, I really didn't have a right to be there. I had literally persecuted him and his colleague who worked on the bench next door to me like 
you wouldn't believe for years. So he had a right to be surprised. Uh, secondly, because even more so humanly speaking, humanly speaking, it was impossible for me to be there. Humanly speaking, it didn't make any sense. And Andrew was in no doubt about that. Uh, but that's exactly the point, right? The Bible uses again and again and again dramatic language to picture what we might call conversion or a reason. To picture what happens when anyone becomes a Christian, no matter who you are or where you've been. It speaks of coming from darkness, out of darkness, into light. It speaks of going from death to life. It speaks of going from spiritual slavery or bondage into spiritual freedom or liberty. It speaks of being far from God and separated from him to being brought near to him and in amazingly intimate personal relationship with him. How did that happen for me? How did it happen for you? How can it happen for you if it hasn't happened yet? And how can it happen for others as we think about the Twin Cities and beyond? Well, yeah, we're in Mission Fest throughout this month. And they're kind of the questions that we're going to be thinking about. That's what Mission Fest is all about. How can we reach others in our region and beyond? If we want to see people saved, what does that look like? If we want to live as people sent by Jesus, how do we kind of get our head around that? Well, as we delve into God's word today, we're going to see some amazing things about this very thing especially when it comes to seeing people saved and our part in it, perhaps family members or friends or neighbours or colleagues or people in our community or even people from other nations. Our passage today has lots to say about this and what it might look like for us to increasingly joyfully advance the gospel, no matter the cost, for the salvation of others. And I want us to see two main points around this idea. Firstly, Gathering others is God's work and our privilege. Gathering others is God's work and our privilege. Straight up, as we jump into chapter 16, particularly in verses 6 through 10, what we see is God's sovereign hand at work directing the mission. God's sovereign hand at work. In verses 6 and 7, we find that they go through the reign of Phrygia and Galatian. Why? Well, because they've been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia, which seems kind of odd, doesn't it? When we're supposed to be you know, going into all the world to make disciples, but the, they've been forbidden to go here. And when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go to Bithynia as, as well, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. And then a little further on, we read that they have a vision and they're guided to go to Macedonia and their conclusion is that God is calling them to preach the gospel there. 
So on the one hand, the Spirit of God is forbidding them to go in one direction, and on the other hand, God is giving them a vision to go in this direction. God is sovereignly at work in the spread of the gospel through his people by his Spirit. God is directly involved. He hasn't gone off somewhere and he's kind of just given you a task that you need to keep you know, kind of busy at, and one day you'll kind of meet up again and he'll kind of say, hey, you, how'd you go? No, no, he's actively involved in the spread of the gospel through his people. And so the gospel is now advancing and it's going to Europe. And the disciples or the apostles are concluding, oh, we need to preach the gospel there. Remember, like Peter had to be convinced that he had to go to Peter's, sorry, to Cornelius' house and preach the gospel there. So God is sovereignly involved in directing the mission, but notice he's not, he's not, not just sovereign in that. He also helps people respond to the gospel. Did you see that? Verse 11 to 15, we've got this beautiful story of this lady called Lydia. She's described as a worshipper of God, and God does a, a glorious, beautiful work of grace in her life, doesn't he? What is that? Verse 14 uh, and the second half. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshipper of God. And then we read this. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. What was said by Paul? You think he was talking about the, maybe the footy? No. He was preaching the gospel. He'd concluded that he was to go there to preach the gospel. So what's he doing? Well, he's preaching the gospel. And as he's preaching the gospel, God sovereignly works in Lydia's heart, opens it up so that she responds or heeds, some translation have, the words that Paul was speaking. And she's beautifully converted. She goes from darkness to light. She goes from death to life. She goes from being far from God, although she was a worshipper of God, to intimate relationship with God. God is sovereignly at work here, directing the mission, helping people respond to Jesus. But... Paul and his colleagues clearly have a role to play, don't they? They're not just sitting back going, oh, God's sovereign. He'll work it out. He'll reach people. You know, he doesn't need us. No, what are they doing? They're busy bringing the message of Jesus to the places that God has called them to. They're busy proclaiming Jesus under God's direction. This is the trajectory and purpose of their lives. They're busy advancing the gospel. They're doing this. And as they're doing this, they're seeing God sovereignly at work. And what's happening? People are being saved. But God is sovereignly at work and they are actively involved. That's why this point is here. God gathering others is God's work and our privilege. The same with us. We're not just to be on mission for God. We're actually, and this is really critical for us to know, and I think changes the way we might even begin the week coming, as in tomorrow morning, we're to be on mission with God. Not just for God, but with God. Does that change the way you step into Monday morning? 
How does that change the way you step into your office tomorrow? Or into your raising of kids at home tomorrow? Or into fill in the blank, whatever you're doing tomorrow? Gathering others is God's work and our privilege. Now, if you've been watching the news or at least the sport this week, you'll know that today is JK's last game. Who's JK, you say? JK is Josh Kennedy. So let me just kind of inform you if you don't know. He's the big full forward uh, for the West Coast Eagles, has been for the last 17 years, has kicked over seven goals. I was there a few weeks ago when he kicked the 700th and so on. Uh, and today is his last game, and it's his, his, his tribute game. And all week, if you've been watching, there's been these tributes going out to Josh Kennedy uh, from fellow players uh, in particular, actually from Dockers players as well. Even some Dockers fans have been giving him tribute. And, yeah, I understand why. He's a great guy. Uh, but I've noticed the constant refrain of the players, his teammates. They say either these words exactly or something around these words. Such a privilege to play alongside with him. Such a privilege to run on to the field with him. That's their experience and there's only a few of them that can say that, right? Because only a few have got to do that over the years. Now I'm going to the game this afternoon. I'm going to his tribute game. I'll be there. I'm pretty sure I'm not running out onto the pitch with him. Pretty sure. Pretty sure I'm not going to strap on the jumper and uh, run out. He wouldn't even notice me. I'm too short. He's like about six foot eight. Only a few people are going to get to do that today. Friends, can I just encourage you from this passage this morning? If you're a follower of Jesus, you get to step into life with, the risen and reigning Lord Jesus every day. Every day. The King of kings and Lord of lords. The one who is sovereign over all and is one day coming back and will put the whole creation right. Step into life with him every day. And you get to step into into whatever mission field he has given you with him every day. Wow. That gonna, do you reckon that might make you stand a bit taller tomorrow as a witness of Jesus? Maybe with a little bit more confidence, not in yourself, but in the one who is with you? Wow. Friends, when it comes to mission... It starts with God, right? Because God is the God of mission. Gathering others is actually on the heart of God. That's why you and I are here, because by his grace, through his gospel, somehow, through a whole bunch of different circumstances, many of you have been gathered by him already. And maybe even today, he's looking to gather you if you haven't already been gathered to him through Jesus. It's on his heart. John 3.16 has got to leave us in no doubt about that, right? For God so loved the world... That he gave his one and only son that whoever believes, whoever puts their hope in him, whoever pins their trust in him, will not perish, but will have eternal, everlasting life. 
Mission is actually just about us aligning our hearts with the heart of God. As we've seen here, God is sovereign in the work of mission, but he uses means. Acts chapter 1 verse 8, And you shall receive power when the Spirit of God comes upon you, and you shall be my witnesses. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. God uses means. God gives us a part to play, which is wonderfully, wonderfully liberating on the one hand because ultimately, if it's God's work, it's not ultimately up to us in terms of others being saved. But it's also really challenging because we have the privilege and responsibility of joining God in what he's doing. So it's liberating on the one hand. We don't, have to, we don't have to feel the full weight of responsibility. But we have a part to play and we need to play it. And so we pray for God to save people by his grace. And we proclaim, get this, believing that God will save people by his grace. Come back to that a little bit later. Also handy just to pause here for a minute and go, you know what, God's sovereign not just in the salvation of others, but in yours and mine too. How do I know that? I'm going to go out on a limb in relation to yours, but I know that my heart was not predisposed towards God. And I'm pretty sure, based on God's word, yours wasn't either. In fact, the Bible would say and would tell us clearly that our hearts by nature are opposed to God, not predisposed to God. And so if you've turned to God and you're trusting in Christ, even if you're, only, if you're just clinging on by a thread, God has done a work of grace in your heart. He has opened your heart. Isn't that Wonderful. What should your response be? What should my response be? What was Lydia's? Well, we told she got baptised. But she did actually when she became a Christian. She got baptised fairly relatively soon, it seems. That is, she publicly declared what God had done in her and her faith in Jesus before others by getting baptised. And it says all her household got baptised as well. So, man, this is, a, this is a miracle of God's grace here that happened because you know, households then were not just mum and dad and the two kids, you know, like the stickers you get on the back of the car, maybe with a dog. No, the households back then were potentially you know, siblings and their families all in one house. I hope it was a big house, right? and aunts and uncles and all the rest of it, and then all the servants. So you could be talking 40, 50, 60 people. Her and her household became Christians and all got baptised. Suddenly there's a church. What should our response be? Well, yeah, that's publicly, not only in baptism but in other ways. Own Jesus before others. Let's worship him, let's, let's have joy in him, let's express our, our gratitude and our thanks to him and so on. The gathering is God's work and our privilege. Secondly, gathering 
others is joyfully advancing the gospel no matter the cost. And I reckon you can see that pretty clearly in this narrative, don't you? Pretty clear for Timothy right up front. I don't know whether you noticed that. Paul wants to take Timothy on his missionary journey. And so he has him circumcised. Now, you ought to think if you've been working your way through the book of Acts with us, hang on a minute, circumcision, didn't we just, didn't we just hit last week? Acts chapter 15, didn't, didn't, weren't there Jewish leaders who come and said you, you need to be circumcised to be saved? And then, then there's this whole big meeting, you know, Tony said it was the, probably the biggest and most significant church meeting in all of history and they made this decision about what non-Jewish people need to do and they concluded they didn't need to be circumcised. And now Timothy's been, what's going on here? Well, one was the Jews saying, you have to be circumcised to be saved. And the conclusion was, no, you don't. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And that would be to threaten the very fabric of the gospel itself if we added that to it. But then personal, costly sacrifice in order, voluntary, voluntary, in order to advance the gospel is often the norm. So in other words, not to put a stumbling block in maybe some people who are Jewish that would hear the message of the gospel, Timothy voluntarily chose to be circumcised in order to be identified with those people. Remember Paul says, I became all, become all things to all men that I might in order reach some to the Jew I become like a Jew? That's what's going on here. Joyfully advancing the gospel no matter the cost. Voluntary, willing sacrifice in order to see the gospel spread. Now, why would you do that? Just so you can get people to, you know, maybe join one religion over another? Surely not. No, you do that because you believe people's eternal destiny uh, is at stake. You go to those kind of lengths and other costly lengths because you believe people's destiny is at stake. Remember this verse from the words from the lips of Jesus? For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? There's another mathematical equation for you in that. The human soul, one of them, is worth more in the eyes of God than all that the world has to offer put in one container. What does it gain you if you get that, all of that, and then for eternity you've lost your soul? You see, it ramps up the seriousness of reaching others, of advancing the gospel. People's eternal destiny is at stake. And so if we believe that, if that lands for us, then we will be prepared to give up things that we might not otherwise give up so that people might be saved. And we will expect... As we see in this passage, persecution. As we tell others about Jesus. And we won't be put off by it. 
when it happens. Interesting, you know, for, for, if you just read verse 11 through to verse 15, you think, wow, this is going really well. They just kind of, you know, mosey on in into Philippi and head down to the river. It's probably a nice sunny day. There's a few ladies hanging out down there. Let's sit down. Oh, conversation's gone to the gospel. That, that, that was so easy. <gasps> Look, this lady's just responding. She's repented. and Oh, my goodness, now her household's become Christians. Wow, this, 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 this advancing the gospel stuff's easy. Oh, that's until there's a slave girl who's possessed by a demon. And she keeps, you know, constantly like hassling the apostles, telling them, you know, yelling out, these men declare the way of salvation to you, which on the first hand you might think that sounds good. Ah, oh, she's helping them. But yeah, if, kind of work it out for 12 hours straight, three days in a row, might kind of get a little bit much. Maybe she's doing it so much you can't even get a word in edgeways. You can't... Anyway, Paul turns around and casts the demon out of her and then, hello, we've got some problems here. The people recognise she's not going to make us any money anymore. And next thing, what does it say? These men are Jews, they're disturbing our city, they advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans, there's suddenly serious pushback on the advance of the gospel. The crowd joined in attacking them. The magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. Ooh, not going so well now. Got a little bit harder. Suddenly they're experiencing significant personal cost or living for Jesus before others. Suddenly they're experiencing severe hardship for speaking for Jesus. Suddenly doing the work of mission is resulting in very serious pushback. But do you see their response in verse 25? What are they doing? Well, they're in prison now, in stocks. Their feet are being put in stocks. I think they're those things that kind of have a hole just enough for your ankles. Maybe for your feet, I don't know. Doesn't sound good anyway. Doesn't sound like the kind of thing that I'm seeing. But that's what they're doing. Praying and singing hymns to God. About midnight. A bit odd, isn't it? What's that about? Well, I think it's this idea of songs in the night. Maybe you've seen that concept in the Psalms as you've read the Psalms at different points. It seems that songs in the night were a key way for God's people to persevere through hardship. In the midst of hardship, you might know the truth about God. But if you sing it, you tend to experience the truth about God a bit more. One of the reasons why we sing when we gather because the whole person needs to experience the truth about God. Not just our heads, but our emotions, our affections, our hearts and so on. So they're singing. Experiencing severe hardship but seem to be being sustained. This is what it looks like actually to advance the gospel no matter the cost, isn't it? Again, God sovereignly intervenes shakes the place with an earthquake, all their chains fall off and the doors are opened. But notice 
rather than look for escape from the hardship, Paul does something surprising. He looks for God's purpose in it. I'm sure that's not what I would do. Be like, the chains are off, I'm out of here. (laughs) Try and catch me. Verse 27 and 28 starts to show us what the purpose was. When the jailer woke and saw the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself. If you were one of these uh, jailers, you know that it's kind of written into your contract. Lose your prisoners, you lose your life. So he's thinking, I don't know how they're going to do it, what method they're going to use for me to lose my life. I'm just going to do the falling on the sword one because that's probably the least painful At least I'm in control of it. Paul says, don't harm yourself, we're all here. We haven't gone anywhere. So he comes in, he's stunned, he realises there's been a divine event and he says, what must I do to be saved? And we're told that they spoke the word of God to him, which is shorthand for the gospel, and he believed then his whole household as well. There's another household. There's two households become believers. And they're all baptised at once. And there's joy. He's so full of joy that he, together with his household, they believed in God. How do you think Paul and his team were going just now at this point in the story? Were they still in pain? And they would have been. They're beaten with rods, and the Philippian jailers only just helped kind of wash their wounds. They're still in pain, right? Had they forgotten about the persecution they just experienced? Mm, don't think so. Had they forgotten the cost here? Were they wondering whether there'll be more if they keep going? Probably. Do you think they would change anything? You think they were experiencing joy? I reckon. You reckon they'd be prepared to sacrifice further in the future to advance the gospel? To see others saved? Yeah, I reckon. Would they continue to speak for Jesus? Well, we know the answer to that because they did. Would you? Would I? Would we? The gathering others involves joyfully advancing the gospel no matter the cost. That's really clear. Well, something else that you might be taking some notice of uh, this week is the Commonwealth Games. And uh, the Aussies, I don't know about all the other sports, but the Aussies are literally killing it in the pool, right? I think we're, just, we're still ahead in medals. Um, as I say that, there's four of our champions holding their golds. And that's what we see. We see them do this incredible speed down the pool. We see them kind of come up with their faces smiling and you know, celebrating together. And then we see them get out and we see them on the diocese receiving their medals and then we hear their interview. But what we don't hear about are the months and days and years 
and decades leading up to that point. We don't hear about the trainings. We don't hear about the discipline. We don't hear about the good things they chose not to do in order to focus on this. We don't hear about the early mornings. The parents were driving them to the pool when they were eight and a half. We don't hear about the diet. We don't hear about the sore bodies. We don't hear about the injuries. We don't hear about the surgeries. And who knows what else. They did all that, all with the hope of what we see when they stand on the dais, a gold medal around their neck. Now the Bible's got a similar picture. It's one day standing before the risen and reigning Lord Jesus. And that is to be the future reality that shapes our present. Particularly in terms of seeking to reach others with the good news of Jesus so that we might joyfully advance the gospel no matter the cost. Listen to what Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 2, 19-20. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming when we're all standing there? What is it? You are our glory and our joy. That's the destination of gathering others, no matter the cost. And there is cost and there will be cost. I wonder, is standing before the Lord Jesus with others on the last day shaping our today? And if so, how much? How we work, how we witness, how we parent, how we give, how we serve. What is our joy? Is it not you standing in the presence of Jesus? Or to put it another way, who is it that might be standing before the Lord Jesus? Should God use you and me to save others? Who is it? Is it family? Is it children? Is it friends? Is it colleagues? Is it neighbours? How might the last day shape our today? And how we invest in those relationships that God has given us? Might it mean you pray more intentionally for people? Might it mean you invest more sacrificially in people? Might it mean we look for opportunities to point them to Jesus more proactively? Might it mean that we embrace personal cost in order to witness to Jesus faithfully? It ought to shape our priorities. I also want us, want us to think a little bit about our purpose You see from this passage, friends, that hardship doesn't mean God has abandoned you. 
That's what we're tempted to think, right? When things get really rough. And I want to say to you, that's what your enemy, the devil, who prowls around like a roaring lion, would want you to believe. That if hardship comes your way, then God has abandoned you or he is not good. But that's not what we see here. God is actually at work, fulfilling his purpose in their lives in the very midst of hardship. And it's the same Now, that doesn't fit our cultural kind of framework because firstly, <laughs> not about you, but we want to avoid pain at all costs, right? And rightly so. And secondly, we might think if God is good, he wouldn't let us experience hardship. But that's not what we see here, and that's not what we saw in the Lord Jesus either. Hebrews tells us that for the joy set before him, that is, the crowd of people saved, like that, on the last day, standing around the throne, for that joy, he endured the cross, despising its shame. He experienced suffering on a whole different level that we will never know as he bore our sins on that tree in his own body. And God was at work to save you and me in that suffering. Should we always look to escape from hardship or should we look for God's purpose in hardship? And lastly, expectations. I think there's some real encouragements here for us to be bold in our witness that if we seek to be on mission for Jesus, will help us. Firstly, persecution. We've already alluded to it. Jesus didn't hide this from us. So we shouldn't be shocked when it happens. It's highly unlikely that you and I are going to be beaten with rods, hopefully, for speaking about Jesus. But not everyone's going to welcome it. And there might be some serious pushback from some. Now, we just need to make sure that the pushback is actually for proclaiming Jesus and not because we're acting like some moral policeman telling people what to do with their lives. Right? If there's an offence, it needs to be the offence of the cross, which means needs to be we need to be centred and focused on speaking about Jesus and his death and resurrection. That's it. That's, what we, that's the right kind of pushback. Not, oh, you shouldn't be doing that and you shouldn't be doing that and that's a bad way to go. You know, that's not our role. Our role is to proclaim Jesus. But secondly, and we've touched on this already, if we joyfully advance the gospel no matter the cost, We ought to do that expecting that people will be saved. Right? Am I right there? That if we, with God's help, are able to witness to Jesus, people will be converted. People will come from darkness to light. That We should expect that that some will come to know God through him. But I reckon we really struggle at this point now. 
Well, maybe it's just me, because the question is, do we actually believe that? Do I believe that? That if I tell people about Jesus, some people will turn and trust in him. Or have we kind of put up the white flag when it comes to this a bit? And lost our confidence in the power of the gospel, which Paul says is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. See, do we believe Romans 1.16 that the gospel is the power of God for salvation? We're all going to go, yeah, yeah, I do. Then why is it that we're not seeing more people saved? There's probably lots of reasons, but here's one. Could it be that we need to get better at closing the gap? The gap between the gospel, which is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes, and those who need to hear it. That's mission, isn't it? Closing the gap between the power of God for salvation and those who need to be saved. That could be one reason. It could be that our confidence in the power of the gospel has, has kind of dropped down. We need to get that back up. I want to close with a story. It's a story from a church in Victoria. Crossways Baptist Church, it's actually one of the biggest, I think it's the biggest Baptist church in Australia, not that that really means anything. But I was interested the other year to hear their lead pastor talking about their evangelism and mission. Um, and what they did is they, they, wanted, they wanted to be really intentional about reaching people, uh, no matter the cost. And so what they did is they encouraged their people to pray for and think about friends, neighbours, colleagues, whoever around them. And they encouraged them to ask those friends, neighbours, colleagues that, that they felt they, they, that God had kind of identified for them this one question. I'm looking for someone to read the Bible with or the gospel, a gospel with. Would you be interested? That was it. I'm looking for someone to read a gospel, one of the gospels with. Would you be interested? And they were stunned with two things that happened. Firstly, many more people than they ever expected said, yeah, yeah, I wouldn't mind doing that. Right? Don't invite them to church. <laughs> I'm not going to church. Would you like to read a gospel with me? Yeah, I wouldn't mind. Really stunned with how many people said yes. Second thing that stunned them, they're a big church. So one, I think one year the stats were... They had 187 baptisms that previous year. That's the previous year. When they did this, the next year, it more than doubled. I think they found a way to close the gap between the power of the gospel and the people who needed it. Father, we thank you for your word. But more than anything, we thank you for your heart. Your heart that has expressed itself in the sending of your Son, the Lord Jesus, our Saviour and King, 
into the world and to that cross where he died for us and for our sins. We thank you for the stunning power of this good news of Jesus that can take us from darkness to light, from death to life, from slavery to freedom, from being far off from you to being your very own children. Father, first we want to say thank you. And secondly, we want to seek your help. Show us ways, both individually and collectively, that we can bring together both the power of your gospel and the community around us and the people that you've placed in our lives. Father, help us not to be on mission for you, but to be on mission with you. Would you please strengthen our confidence in the good news of Jesus to do for us and others all that we need. Father, thank you. Thank you in Jesus.